Hello, everyone. We're glad you found us, and welcome to our podcast at AntiqueAuctionForum.com. We hope you find this show entertaining and informative. This is Martin with the Antique Auction Forum, and I'm in L.A. with Joe Madalena. Did I say your name right? You got it. You said it right. <laughs> how are you? Good. How are you? Good, good. Boy, very interesting place walking in here and seeing all these props and costumes and uh, figures out here. Yeah. Is this Star... No, what is this? Coming in you? the door? Terminator? There's Terminator, but I mean, there's all these figures here in the hall. Oh, this is the Star Trek. Star Trek. Voyager, Next Generation. Yeah, this is where yeah. all the costumes come and go on vacation. <laughs> wow, wow. So this place is amazing. What is that great big robot thing? Um, that one is from um, Robocop. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. We've got wow. things from Zathor and Terminator and Aliens and Predator. And, you know, you'll, cut, you'll see creatures and aliens and, you know... Got anything you could possibly imagine that goes into the making of a motion picture or a television yeah, show. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have all kinds of things I think of right off the bat, but who buys these things? I mean, I saw where you sold the sub carpet of Star Trek for $11,000. Bridge carpet. What was it? The bridge. Yeah, so but the bridge it was the sub carpet. It wasn't even the... No, so what it was... Um, Matt Jeffries was the um, uh, he built the the bridge of the Enterprise. So when they wrapped the set, he pulled the carpeting up. Yeah. And then he used it for insulation inside of his airplane. So it's the only carpeting that survived. So when he sold it, he, we took it out of his airplane. And it was like a three oh. foot by three foot square. And I think it, yeah, it did sell for eleven thousand dollars. But the guy that bought it cut it up into little tiny pieces and sold those for like twenty five dollars a piece. Oh, did he make money? Yeah. So it's you know because it is a piece Jeez. of the original bridge of the original Star Trek, you know, yeah. Shatner Enterprise. And, you know, everything is collected these days. Yeah. You know, but who buys them? It's the same, you know, I tell people whoever watches movies and television shows, Mm -hmm. there's no difference in collecting this than baseball cards or coins or stamps or fine art. It's just people collect what they like, you know, and more people are finding out about this field of collecting. The one thing that's different about the items that I sell is they're more world collected. Where right. a lot of things tend to be regional collected. I collect American art pottery. It's pretty much collected in America. Mm-hmm. Baseball cards are collected in America. You go to Europe, you don't buy baseball cards. You know, so it's mm-hmm. really a lot of the collectibles are Americana. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> what we sell is it's cultural currency. I mean, all over the world, you can sell. Arnold Schwarzenegger or Sylvester Stallone or you know, The Wizard of Oz, everybody knows what it is and everybody yeah. wants a piece of that magic. So it's a much different clientele. Yeah, yeah. Now, the Chinese market is really strong in the antique field. Are they bidding strong on these items too? I know in the last year and a half they've entered the market. I mean, I won't know until our next few sales because they're, they're kind of new into these markets. Mm-hmm. There is money from Asia, but it, it comes from all over the world. I mean, we have collectors in South America. We have collectors all over Europe. We have collectors mm-hmm. in Russia. I mean, they're all over yeah. the world. Yeah, yeah. Now, let's talk a little bit about your Lost auction. That was quite amazing. That, that really made a big splash. Yeah, it was interesting. I think Lost, um, other than Star Trek, was probably the best television show in the last 30 years. I mean, that, to me, personally, I love the show. So when mm-hmm. I got the opportunity to have the Lost auction, I was thrilled because I got to be in Hawaii for most of season six, uh, see the uh, filming, you know, learn, wow. well, you know, have day-to-day interaction with the producers and cast and talent. So it was mm-hmm. fun. And uh, But I think it showed, because there were two schools of thought. I had people say, this auction's going to be a complete bomb. Mm-hmm. And I had other people say, this auction's going to go through the roof. 
So it's really interesting what happened. It went through the roof. But it shows you that the interest, again, was all over the world where lost yeah. fans wanted a piece of their favorite television show. And it was a lot of those people, though, will never probably buy anything from me again because they just wanted a piece of that Lost. Thing. Yeah, yes. They wanted something that was in their, you know, it's in their checklist so that they wanted something that was memorable from the show. But it just shows you if you have the right item and you reach the right audience, people want them. Yeah, I followed that a little bit, and uh, I was totally amazed. And from what I understand, the social media got involved. And this is like the first time in the auction that Facebook was heavily involved. In. Yeah, well, we were really lucky because ABC was behind the auction. A lot of times, you know, the studios don't support you. So ABC, because it was season six, and it was part of their brand, and with the DVD releases and stuff, they were really behind this at the highest level of the studio. So we were on ABC.com, and you know they really pushed this Disney. So you know we had the, we had the ABC websites that we, we you know the the, the um, lost Facebook page had six million people. Wow! You know, so you know you're reaching just this yeah. giant audience because you're authorized. I couldn't get on the Facebook web, the, the lost Facebook web page without being part of them because they control the posting so oh, I uh, see. you know you uh-huh. can't just post on there right you right. can respond but you can't put up something so they have to put it up when they put up the, it's you know it was authorized by the studio it was an abc authorized auction so i think that made the world a difference and from that there were so many websites devoted to loss because of season six how the show went in the finale mm-hmm. you had this huge amount of people constantly looking for information and i think that was the perfect you know kind of like you know uh, a storm a perfect storm of events where they all kind of came together, but it shows you the social media you can reach the world. Sure, how sure. powerful it is when it works. Yeah, how many lots were in that auction, approximately? Uh, I remember, I think we had about sixteen hundred. Wow, yeah. wow, that's that's a lot, a lot of stuff. And uh, and where did you hold the auction? It was held at Barker Hangar here in Santa Monica. There's Santa, Santa Monica, Hanger? yeah, uh-huh. Santa Monica Airport. It's a huge airplane hangar. I mean, wow. you put a couple seven forty sevens in there. It was huge. And, and you know, uh, ABC came in, and we had 500 people at the auction that actually wow. came. That's a lot. That is a lot for this the specialty auction. The room was packed. Yeah. And then, you know, we, they rebuilt the inside of the, um, you know, the airplane. You know, um, and it was, you oh. know, yeah, they had a lot of it. They, yeah. we, had, we had celebrities, lost cast members doing signings and, you know, booths. Wow. And, you know, it was really cool. Yeah, the Dharma van was there. And, you know, we had the junk, had the atomic bomb was there. So it was really, it was really awesome. Wow. Wow, that sounds like so much fun. Yeah, it was really cool. Yeah. So how do you get contacted just from being established so long? Well, let's, let's digress a little bit. When you, how did you get into this in the beginning? I'm from Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. My parents were antique dealers, so they did that for about 40 years in New England. Uh-huh. And I grew up in that world, so when I came here in the late 70s to go to college, you know, I, I you know, went to Pepperdine, and I always had interest in what they did, but never really wanted to do antiques, per se. Mm-hmm. And then always found historical documents and movie memorabilia and film props, really like that, so just kind of followed a different path of what they did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, you do... Um a lot of historical documents you just touched on. So you you do a very you still are involved in that. Yeah, we're the largest historical document dealer still in the world, I and mean, we specialize in letters of Jefferson, Beethoven, Mozart, you know, Washington, Lincoln. You know, we hold virtually every world record. I've brought you know probably every major piece that sold at auction in the past twenty five years. I probably handled you know so we've sold hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars worth of historical documents. Wow. So that's wow. you know that's you know the business was built on that, mm-hmm. and then you know this is kind of like. The movie memorabilia, it's kind of a natural segue because 
I personally am interested in literature. So how I got into the movie memorabilia was, as I would think about like Dashiell Hammett and Raymond Chandler and F. Scott Fitzgerald and William Faulkner and realize all their books became these great movies and Frank Baum wrote The Wizard of Oz that became The Wizard of Oz. I started to say to myself, gee, I'm, I, I have the manuscripts, I have the letters, I know why they wrote these books, but I'm curious what the screenplays are like. And I realized, wow, Hammett didn't write The Maltese Falcon, somebody else wrote it. And you start like learning about, and to me it was like a, this, I, my, my um, quest for information just exponentially grew because I didn't know all the other pieces of that puzzle of how that book went to become a movie. Being here in Hollywood, you know, in the early 80s, there were these, all these great bookstores everywhere. Mm-hmm. So I would go to these bookstores, collectors, bookstores, cinema collectors, Hollywood collectors, you know, they were everywhere. You, they had everything. And you could buy things for $10, $5, $20. I just started collecting things mm-hmm. around my favorite movies. Mm-hmm. I would have it in my office. I was in Beverly Hills for 23 years. And people would come over and be like, oh, that's cool. And people would start asking about them. And at that time, they were mine. I wasn't selling them. It was my own collection. Mm-hmm. And I started realizing in 1995 that, you know, I had a lot of interest. So in 96, we held our first auction. So it's whatever that is, 16 years later we've been doing it non-stop no was that all your items in that particular no the other collectors i still Uh have my collection but it it was just a way to like you know kind of um uh go into that field yeah it seems like this it would be really hard to break into it in the beginning everything's hard in the beginning yeah yeah yeah. did you just contact uh like prop places well what happens is as i was collecting i'd meet other collectors so it's like networking so eventually you'd have a network of collectors i'm like like, hey, I'm going to have an auction. Great, I'll give you this, I'll give you this, I'll give you this. So the first sale was like four or $500,000. Now our sales do $5 million, you Wow. Know? So, you know, but, you know, th- you know, but it takes a long time to get there. Sure, sure. How many auctions do you have a year, approximately? You know, it depends. Anywhere from three to six. It just depends on, you know. What comes in. You know, and, you know, what we're doing. If there's, like, a Debbie Reynolds auction consumes a lot of time. Yeah. So it'll probably wipe us out for the rest of the year. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, you know, we don't do, you know, we don't have the massive amounts like some of these big companies do you know we pick our spots and hold the ones that i think that'll be most successful now deb speaking of debbie reynolds when is that auction coming up this is i know this podcast will be up a long time so we'll say the year <laughs> when is this auction coming up just the year no 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 that's uh, so it's june 18th 2011 june 18th okay right. <laughs> yeah and uh now i know debbie reynolds is a major collector herself Right. Yeah, Debbie started collecting in the 70s. Um, you know, um, when, when she heard that MGM was liquidating the lot, she ran over there and bought a ton of stuff in the auction. And started. Then when Fox was liquidating, she bought a lot of stuff at the Fox auction. And then she just started collecting, buying everything she could that were in the genres that she collected. You know, and then just kept building her collection with the goal of one day opening a museum, which never happened. Oh. Now, do you have the entire collection or most of it? Or? The entire collection. The entire collection. Wow. So that's going to be a major sale. Yeah, the sale in June will be um, the most important sale of Hollywood memorabilia probably that's ever taken place and probably never will happen again because, mm. you know, she has 10 Marilyn Monroe dresses. She has the subway wow. dress, which is the most famous costume. You're kidding. No. Oh, my goodness. So it's $1 to $2 million for that dress. So, you wow. know, she has the ascot that... Um, um, Audrey Hepburn wore My Fair Lady. I mean, and it just goes on and on and on. So it, you'll never... She has the largest collection in private hands, so once this is broken up, there's not, there's not like another place that would have this quantity. People have collections, but not like this. Yeah. Speaking of museums, uh, is, would there be a museum involved in uh, purchasing some of this collection? Well, there are museums all over the world, textile museums, theme museums, I would yeah. hope so. I would hope that, you know, somebody would look at these things with the opportunity or the eye of 
putting him in a museum. We don't really have a Hollywood museum. Yeah, you know, there's really, not really, yeah. you know, there really one doesn't exist. I, I can't believe that, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to believe, but yeah. the, the industry's never really supported it. You know, so maybe this maybe this will get people to understand how important because they're cultural. I mean, these are cultural artifacts; they're really important. I mean, people, millions and millions of people have seen these movies, sure. and you realize what these costumes are. With the ruby slippers and the Wizard of Oz, yeah. When you realize what these things are, they're historical. Now, you sold there was like twenty pair of those or something like that. Originally. Five pairs. Oh, is that it? Okay. Five and um, you sold a pair. I'm selling a pair for Debbie. You are selling a pair. Because I know that a pair came up in the past at auction. In 2000, in New York City, um, a pair sold for $660,000. That yeah. was the last public <laughs> sale of a pair of ruby slippers. So yeah. one, a pair like that today would probably bring a few million dollars. I've got a question for you. How on earth can you establish estimates? Is it, you know, that well, must be the hardest thing. Again, you know, because, you know, I've been doing this 26 years and because you're networking with thousands and thousands of collectors, you kind of have an idea of like a pain threshold for people where you can look at something and say, I'd buy that for 500, I'd buy that for 5,000. And then you kind of have this banter in your head. And when you get to a certain number, you're like, that's way too high. And you try to estimate it about half of way too high. Mm -hmm. And you want to estimate it where you know there are lots of people who are going to look at it and be tempted to bid on it because it's priced fairly in the scheme of everything else. I always tell people, if you take $10,000 in my hobby and you go to all the other fields, you can get an A piece for $10,000. Mm-hmm. You can't get junk in terms of coins and stamps and baseball cards. You, you're talking about really common things that have just super high grades. You're not going to get anything important. Then you're talking yeah. six, seven figures to get something important. You know, our field is still grossly undervalued because most people don't know about it. And also, most of these are the collectibles. They were produced for mass consumption of, by society. They were, consum- they were consumables, you know, baseball cards and coins and stamps. They were maybe millions of them. These things, there's one, two, three, four known copies of some of these costumes. Sometimes one that survives, so they're much rarer. Well, I can't think of any more important dress to go up to auction than Marilyn Monroe's subway dress. Yeah, it's the most famous costume in the world. She's the yeah. most famous actress in the world, the most famous scene in the world, the most remembered scene in the world. So, mm-hmm. the um, uh, uh, didn't Joe DiMaggio uh, divorce her over that? I mean, there was I don't know I how much of that is. You know, that. <laughs> you know, who knows? Because no, we weren't there. We know he was yeah. upset because he didn't like that the fact that she was seen in that light. I don't know how. I doubt he got divorced over that incident, but I'm sure yeah. it just. I'm sure it was a combination of. He was the Yankee Clipper. He was super famous. He married somebody who was a hundred times more famous than him. Yeah, and I think that probably was the hardest thing. That, yeah, and it's yeah. how do you how do you balance all that out? And that probably you know in the time that he was alive, that probably was probably socially not acceptable. Today, you know, they're walking around in g strings. Yeah, so that's nothing. Yeah. yeah, he wouldn't be like, well, what the heck, yeah. you know. <laughs> so you know, I don't think it would phase yeah. people today. But yeah, it was in the fifties. But it, that that role in that movie kind of like was the beginning of the sexual revolution it really kind of like opened up people's eyes and you know Marilyn Monroe gets more and more popular every single year yeah she's one of the few people now is is there a Marilyn Monroe estate there is a Marilyn Monroe estate and so they profit every year like um, say Elvis absolutely absolutely, uh I know I think the Strasburg family controls it yes okay I know uh, the Elvis estate is one of the wealthiest uh, dead people. Oh, I'm sure Elvis, James Dean. Something like Dean. 70 million a year. I'm sure it's huge. Yeah. Because, yeah, you James know, James Dean, right. Yeah, like James Dean, if you go into Asia, you'll see that most of their branding for jeans, like Lee and stuff, they're still using his images. Yeah. So they market Audrey Hepburn, you know, they, they still use their images and likeness. Um, 
company in Canada just paid $50 million for the digital rights to put Marilyn Monroe's digital imagery into commercials and advertising where you know wow. you, you'll see Marilyn alive again but just digital rights 50 mm -hmm. million dollars for the rights to use her image isn't that something yeah but it shows wow. you the, the power in her marketing yeah. yeah yeah still you know you wonder if that if she'll ever fade fade away or if she's always going to be this iconic I don't think she'll ever fade away in, in the next 50 years after yeah. that who knows I mean you know she'll always be part of our collective culture but yeah. you know I wonder who the next that, Marilyn Monroe is um, Do they have they, to die they, young? <laughs> I don't. I don't think. I don't think they'll ever be another Marilyn Monroe. I think she's yeah. one of a kind. There'll be somebody else. I mean, you know, Madonna was popular for a while. She's kind yeah. of faded, but you yeah. just don't know. I mean, it's it's you know, like it's like movies. You know, if you look at the great films, The Wizard of Oz and Citizen Kane and Gone with the Wind, they're yeah. as popular now as they were 50 or 80 years ago. Yeah. A lot of these movies come and go. Avatar was great. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? In ten years, will that be one of those movies? It's hard to say. It was groundbreaking, but you don't. You just don't know what's going to withstand the test of time. That's right. That's right. Now um, you have another very interesting auction coming up in May fifteenth. May fourteenth and fifteenth. May fourteenth. And you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So May fourteenth and fifteenth, we have almost seventeen hundred items coming up at auction, and it's a really interesting sale. It's broken in two sections. Day one is basically the most important Disney animation cells, original artwork, concept artwork, rides, attractions from the park that's ever been assembled in one auction. There's a couple million rides dollars from the park. Yeah, rides from the park too. Wow. And yeah, we have everything. It's pretty amazing. I mean, just mind-boggling stuff. But the most important thing is, um, in 1924, Disney had been in California for like a month. Mm -hmm. And um, he's setting up his business with his brother. Up until that time, he's had a lot of failures. And he, the first project that he ever got off the ground was Alice in Wonderland. So he's working for this company in New York, the Winklers, and he's making these animated Alices for them. So his best friend is in Kansas, Ub Iwerks, and he's writing him and saying, Ub, I need you to come to California, sell everything you have. This place is great. I'm never coming back to Kansas. If you gave me the state for free, I wouldn't come back. He goes, Disney's only been in California a month. And he's like, you know, I'm setting up the studio. Alice is doing well. I need you. Mm -hmm. So with that letter, Ub comes to California, and without Ub, Ub created Mickey Mouse. Disney wow. didn't. So, so you have that letter. Yeah, and it's handwritten. Oh. So the argument could be made is without that letter, without him coming, there would probably never have been Disneyland. There probably would have never been the Disney Empire because that made him come, become Disney's chief, chief animator, and who then created Mickey Mouse for Walt Disney. I mean, so you think about wow. how significant that is. That letter is sixty to $80,000. I think it's worth a million dollars. It's priceless. I mean, it's yeah. the most important... Disney letter in the world because at first it's handwritten there's only one other known handwritten letter it's four pages long and it literally is the beginning of the entire creation of the studio wow so it's really significant wow oh, and the guy's name is Ub Ub Iwerks Ub Iwerks that's his real name mm -hmm. Ub Iwerks and um, so he came right out after came right that? out yeah he came right out and then stayed in California wow wow that's interesting what else is in that auction you know, you know, great paintings from Ivan Earl, Mary Blair. Okay. Mary Blair so, was one of Disney's most well-known artists, and her concept paintings, like Peter Pan and stuff, they sell for five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars a piece. We have twenty or thirty of them. Ivan Earl, who did all of the uh, Sleeping Beauty, you know, um, you know, oh. imagine the entire film. You know, we have yeah. a lot of his master paintings. You know, they're fifty thousand, hundred thousand, eighty thousand. Wow. We have posters where you know Alpine Climbers, which is the only known poster from that movie in the world that's known to exist. 
you know, mm. you know, uh, first day passes to the first opening day of um, Disneyland that belonged to Herb Ryman, who was the guy who created the entire look of Disneyland for Walt Disney, who was the d- designer who built the Magic Castle, and we have his collection. So just, you know, God, from every animation cell, every important, from Cinderella, Snow White, Sleeping Beauty, I mean, it's really remarkable. Did this come from several collectors? The majority of it came from one collector. And can you talk about the collector? Yeah, this guy's collected for his whole life, um, and he's basically at a stage now where he's retiring, and he's starting to wind down, and he's, you know, he, the Disney market's kind of, you know, was extremely hot, Mm -hmm. and then about 20 years ago, it really cooled off, Mm -hmm. and it's just recently come back, and I think that because there really hasn't been anything like this on the market in 20 years, I think it's going to... There's a whole new group of collectors that look at this and realize again how undervalued a lot of these things are, and uh, you know. So he decided, you know, uh, because of my relationship with him, he thought I would be the perfect place to kind of launch this new era of collecting. So that's what we're doing. Oh, oh great! Yeah. And how many pieces are in the Disney section? There's close to seven hundred. Seven hundred. Yeah. Wow, that's and a lot. Seventeen hundred in the auction. Yeah. Now, are you going to have to have a hanger again? No. We'll have it at the Saban Theater in Beverly Hills. It's not like lost. You know, regular auctions, in an auction like this, we'll probably have a 1,000 people who will participate. Uh-huh. 90% of them will be either on the Internet or yeah. the telephone, absentee bidders. You know, we'll get maybe 50 to 100 people who come and go yeah. over the course of the two days. People don't attend auctions anymore. Yeah, I know. It's, it's much easier to... talk a little bit about that. It's much <laughs> yeah. easier to bid over the telephone. Yeah. I hate going to auctions. Yeah. <laughs> but the... Um uh, the park rides, that's what I was thinking about for the space, that there's enough room to put those in where you're having the auction? We don't bring anything there. Oh, I see. It's all up on the screens. Yeah, it's all up on the screens. Everything's electronic. You know, you, we, we have uh-huh. previews here for the next three weeks in California, so you come to uh-huh. our offices and see this stuff. But auction day, it's all electronic. You'll be looking at a big monitor on in front of the auctioneer, and you'll see the items come up. But at that stage, everybody knows what's, what they're yeah. putting on. So that makes it even easier for someone to bid from home. Oh, absolutely. And do you use uh, use live auctioneers? I use iCollector and live auctioneers. We use them both. Yeah. Oh, iCollector. That's right. Yes, I talked to them actually. Use them about that. Yeah. Uh-huh. And what type of uh, action do you get from? Let's just say you put iCollector and live auctioneers side by side. This may be an unfair question. Do you get as much activity from both? Or well. I do because I have my own client base. I mean, I have 40,000 clients, and I find that mm-hmm. either one, I still get the same results. Wow. Because my clients are going to bid wherever I go. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's like do I don't get a lot of new business. It's just, it's just a platform that my existing business, I'm driving more traffic to them than they are to me. Uh-huh. You know, so it kind of is reverse with the marketing and the PR we do. You know, I, I, to me, it's like whoever hosts it, kind of, they're kind of lucky to get the, the activity. Yeah. You know, because we're not looking for them to get us clients. I'm just looking for somebody who has a stable platform that we can use. That's right. I when I spoke to uh, Julian at Live Auctioneers, the first thing he brought up was your auction. So it really caused a big spike at Live Auctioneers. Oh, for sure. The last auction when you had that. Oh, for sure. Going back to that. Yeah. yeah. And it does, and it helps their traffic immensely because, you know, you're talking about if millions of people look, maybe they can't bid, but that mm-hmm. kind of populates the rest of what they do. Yeah. You know, so you get that spillover. They might, these people now might suddenly find these companies, oh, I'll look at other auctions, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like, you know, it's a different business model. A lot of other auction companies need the big machines to kind of get to... Yeah, kind of networking and, and find those clients where we're kind of like a little bit different business model. Yeah, yeah. Now, since you started in 1995, the internet was just 
barely creeping along at that time. Oh, it didn't exist. I mean, it only yeah. existed in the government. <laughs> yeah. So what is the, uh, how did you operate, I mean, what was the difference between? Well, back then everything was the mail. I mean, you know, just yeah. like, you know, in those days we didn't have email. And did you have to mail out photos and I mean, stuff like that all the time? Yeah, yeah. Like, people would call up, you know, yeah. all the time, you know, you'd send out, you know, more people came to preview. Uh-huh. Yeah. Now, do you do a hard catalog now? Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah, uh-huh. And so now um, everyone talks about the Internet's kind of a double-edged sword in a bunch of ways, but it does create a lot of new collectors around the world. Millions, for sure. And you say you have a 40,000? 40,000 people on our email list, yeah. On your email list. Wow. And so when that goes out, I'm on your email list. (laughs) So when that goes out, do you get responses right away? Like I just got one this morning about the the Disney One auction coming up. Yeah, we'll get, you know, we'll get... You know, if we send out an email, we probably get 25% of the people open in the first hour. Mm-hmm. So it's a pretty high response rate. So they, they know what they're looking for. Not not everybody on our list collects. They might look and not click any further because it's not their genre. They might only collect one thing. If they, we have that, they'll go further. But, yeah, they're, they're obviously interested, whether they're a collector or somebody who has real interest in this field of collecting. So mm-hmm. that's what it's all about. Now, do you do you run any auctions that are, like, early memorabilia, like, say, again, Washington, Jefferson? Or, or is that fading out a little since you're getting so big? You know, we do it. We'll have maybe one a year. You uh-huh. know, it's really like, you know, we, we, we sell those through our regular catalogs, which are net price catalogs. So we put out those oh, catalogs see. with two different clientele. So that mailing list, we service those catalogs. Maybe two or three times a year we'll put out a catalog, but it's for sale. I mean, everything's priced, and we usually yeah. sell out. You know, if we put out a 200 log catalog, we'll sell 60% of it in three weeks. Okay. So it's like a hard price. Yeah, net price, Uh yeah. Uh I haven't been... I feel like that area, um, my clients may be resistant to auction because I've done it that way for so many years. So it's like Mm -hmm. possibly down the road, rare books and manuscripts. We do do occasionally, but so far not like a, a major desire of mine. Mm-hmm. Now, when I tried to um, when I tried to get an interview with you back right around the last auction time, they said that you were involved in a television show. Can you talk about that? You- yeah, I, I am on a show uh, that's owned by NBC called Hollywood Treasure. Um, it's broadcast uh, in the first run on Sci-Fi. Um, it ran last year. Uh, we premiered in October um, in our show. Uh, the last episode, I think, was a week before Christmas. Um, so uh, we were the highest rated uh, non-scripted show in uh, sci-fi's history since the 2004 debut of Ghost Hunters. Really? And Ghost Hunters is their flagship show, yeah. which does massive numbers. So uh, we very successful. Um, we will be back on the air in June. We're just finishing season two. We're about 90% done. Oh. Yeah, so we're back on early June. Uh, now, is it behind, can, this is on the Sci-Fi channel? Sci- it, sci-Fi first run, then Bravo, and it, then it goes, oh, sorry, sorry, Sci-Fi first run, then it goes through all this, uh, then it goes through all the NBC affiliates. Oh, wow. Yeah, wow. Bravo, um, Lifetime, USA, E, you know, with the first run Sci-Fi. So you have a very full schedule, very yeah. full life. Very full schedule. Talk a little bit about that. What is your, what's your day generally like? You, you get up, you come to the office, and... Yeah, well, we have, you know, there's, we have a, you know, in, in Calabasas here, we have a 7,000 square foot office. We have a, about a 10,000 square foot warehouse about 20 minutes away. And, you know, come in, basically, uh-huh. we're always in catalog mode. We're always uh-huh. getting a catalog ready. So it's just up, updating what we're doing, and then I'll spend, you know, two-thirds of my day on this and a third of my day on the TV show. 
whether it's, you know, I have a episode I have to screen, you know, and get notes to the network, and, you know, we, we're shooting tomorrow all day, and then we have, we have, there's a shoot going on today, which I have to get back to them about, you know, notes for that. So it's like, you know, I'm involved in everything. So it's kind of fun, you know, you kind of, it kind of it's a variety. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, when you get calls in the antique business, it's like this. If you get a call... You have to just practically jump in your car and go there, or oh, someone absolutely. else is going to beat you. There. Same thing in this is field. it the same thing? Absolutely. You want to yeah. get it as fast as you can. Yeah, it's all about yeah. getting the material. It's all about getting the great material yeah. before anybody else does. Yeah. See, so, yeah, very, it's very competitive. I mean, you know, everybody wants. You know, everybody can do the best job they say for everybody else. And, yeah. You know. Now you based you probably st- were one of the beginning of the starters in doing what you're doing, or I'd oh, say I created, you are. I created this. You created. Yeah, for sure. And there's there a lot of people like. Yeah, absolutely. We have yeah. lots of competition now because they see it's profitable and it's, yeah. and it's become big. I think the best uh, the, the best form of flattery is you know imitation. I, yeah. I, see, I, I'm one of those people. I believe it's great when you drive down the street and you for, see four gas stations. Mm-hmm. They're there because that's where people go get gas. Yeah. And you know, one day you might go to Chevron as your favorite. The next day, but you might go to 76. So the line is too long. But that's where everybody goes gets gas. I think competition is good because it creates more collectors. That's right. I think it's I think that's it's right. a healthy thing. I think yeah. a lot of when I grew up in the in, in my dealing in the early days, the dealers were so competitive, and I used to try to tell them, "You guys are idiots to be backstabbing each other. Mm-hmm. It only undermines the credibility of what you do." They wouldn't listen. But now people more you know. I think that also changed where you know yeah. you got to think about the consumer you got to think about how they perceive everything and how they perceive you and yeah. I think it's the best thing possible you got to have you can't have ultimate transparency but you can have you know you can only do the right thing you have a problem you fix it you know right. you do something yeah. you, you, you everybody makes I will say everybody including me yeah. makes mistakes yeah. if they say they don't tell you that they're lying yeah you know, if they don't every, stand behind right. no mistakes, yeah, that's that's all that matters. You know, yeah. if you if you make a mistake, you write a check. Here you go. Sorry, yeah, we didn't know. We learned. Yeah. Great learning, and that's what it's all about. Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody learns. That's what we're trying to do. You know, trying to be right. You know, I tell people I have a uh, seventeen hundred items in this auction, so we have three things that aren't real. We got to pull out three. Mm-hmm. So I'm batting ninety nine point eight percent. If I was in any sport, I'd be in the Hall of Fame of any sport. Yeah. Any sport in them, I'd be the best. I'd be better than Babe. I'd be the best, right? Yeah. So I tell people, that's pretty good. If I'm batting 95%, you know, when I do an auction catalog of that magnitude, and, yeah, there are people out there who are a lot smarter than me, yes. and you learn yeah. that in these little fields. But that's right. But you withdraw the items, and yeah. you learn. But it's yeah. just like, but our percentage is so high, yeah. and that's the thing I strive for. Yeah. My father had a saying, I grew up in the auction business, and he had a saying, uh, put it out there if it's wrong. You know, if you think it's right, put it out there, and if it's wrong, don't worry, someone will let you know. And it's true, the people that are in these fields have such in-depth knowledge, and they can tell you exactly why it's wrong. Now, I noticed that when the Internet came along and we were on eBay and all that, that a lot of people kind of wrote these harsh emails just saying, you know, things were wrong, and, you know, without explaining exactly There's a lot of those people out there. Yeah, yeah. But it really is. Um, you gotta I, ignore them. You gotta yeah. just, you know, you can't, you can't, you can't respond. It's kind of like yeah. I take this basic thing. We don't respond to anything. It's just kind of like say whatever you want to say. I don't go on blogs. We don't defend ourselves. It's kind of like it's not, yeah. it's not appropriate. People, yeah. people have freedom of speech. Let them say what they say. And it's just like I feel that it's just the best thing to do is put out a quality product. A friend of mine is Jimmy Julia in Maine. Oh yeah, I so, know Jim Merlo. Yeah, so, yeah, uh, so uh, yeah. Uh, Jimmy once said to the Maine Antique Digest, "They said you're having an auction on uh, Mother's Day. What are you crazy?" And he's like, "Let me tell you something. I could have an auction in a blinding blizzard in Nome, Alaska, in an igloo, 
on Christmas Day, if I have the right material, they're going to come and bid on it. That's right. And yeah. that's the reality of this yeah. is people, if you have the right things, they're going to come and buy it. Yeah. And that's what the, the whole goal of an auction is to put out fantastic material to tempt people to bid and put yeah. it out at fair prices. Yeah. And things that aren't dealer retreads, and, you know, which is harder yeah. these days to get fresh material. But that's when right. you do, the magic occurs and you get great prices. And yeah. That's what it's all about for me is, and I see the, the how happy a lot of these collectors are to get a chance to own these things. Oh, like yeah. in the Disney auction, we probably have a hundred A pieces, like solid A pieces. Wow. Most auctioneers, if they had one, yeah. would be like doing cartwheels. Yeah. We have a hundred of them. Yeah. But that's what yeah. we're known for. I mean, they know that when they get this, it's like I have a client call me up and he's like, this guy will probably spend a few hundred thousand dollars in the auction. He was just so depressed because he was like, he goes, I could spend a million dollars. He's like, I can't afford it, but it's just, it's just, it's just yeah. like, I want this, and I want this, and I want this. Well, that's the whole goal, mm -hmm. is to get so much material of that quality that gets people interested in being like, it's the best of the best, and people collect. So the, the, the business model works. Auctioneers have replaced dealers. In the old days, mm -hmm. all of our fields were driven by dealers. Went to right. New York City, you wanted to buy Absolutely. furniture, Israel Fat Sacks, I mean, all yeah. these, John, you know, John Walton, you know, name. Well, yeah. So you had yeah. all these great dealers, right? And mm -hmm. now it's reversed. Even the dealers can sign to auction. Yeah. Because people, because I think because of eBay, it's kind of created this auction world that we all live in. But it'll, yeah. it's, it'll change. I mean, you'll have another, they go in cycles. So That's auctions are popular. Does. Five years from now, the deals will be popular again yeah. because the auctioneers don't know everything. So you'll yeah. get these niche experts who, you know, pull the clients back and like, ah, oh, you know, you know, and just everything goes in a cycle. We were talking, um, I was talking with Jim Julia about this a similar thing. We we're saying that dealers used to set the prices for everything. You knew what to pay for, say a round oak table, because the dealer would pay two fifty. You knew that if you bought it for a hundred or hundred and fifty, right. you'd make money. And that was just like the set price and that is that is no longer completely changed. And First of all, the dealers have been wiped out for the most part because the capital it takes in any of these fields now is significant. And this, you know, there aren't great, like I, I used to go to Brimfield um, oh, yeah. for years and years and years. It's not the same anymore. The quality's mm. not there. Mm. You know, so it's like so things year. have really yeah. changed. So, you know, you, the whole business model has changed. So you have to approach your buying almost you're competing against collectors. So mm -hmm. you have to pay more than I sell, like I'll have a George Washington document. It's priced at $20,000. Everybody wants a discount. And I tell people, you know, I can't give you a discount. And they're like, why? I'm like, because I can't buy it back for $20,000. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. I have to go buy it back for $25,000, which means I have to price it at $35,000. Yeah. That's this, because the spreads now are like this. What has to happen now is prices go up again because mm -hmm. the dealers are going to start paying what the collectors are paying just to have inventory. Right. That's right. the problem. And that's what... You have to that's, replace their... You have to replace stock. your wares, so yeah. you either have to be very brave or you have to be understanding that there's going to be a resistance level before price breakthrough comes. And that's what's happening now to a lot of these fields where prices you will see because prices are going up because, look, people have nowhere to put their money. One percent, you know, I have collectors all the time, like, forget that. I'd rather buy, I'll take my shot at this. You know, mm -hmm. and people are buying collectibles. People are buying everything, mm -hmm. you know, because they feel safer. Yeah. You know, and that's, you know, really spurring the market. Mm -hmm. Now, how would, how would um, what would you tell the novice collector out there as far as getting into collecting this type of thing? How would you tell them to begin um, their quest? Well, the first thing you have to do is buy something from, and I don't want this to be an advertorial for me, but you got to buy something from somebody like me, whether it's me or Christie's or Sotheby's, whoever it is, somebody that has a legitimate business, mm -hmm. who's been around so a long right. time. 
more than that, somebody's going to stand behind their purchase. Somebody's yeah. going to uh-huh. be there in two years. Somebody you can have a relationship. Somebody you can trust is 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 going to be in business. Okay, mm-hmm. when you buy something on eBay, it's the Wild West. Mm-hmm. You know, you can go on eBay Sorry. right now. There's a hundred signed Marilyn Monroe photographs. They're all fake. Yeah. Mine are twenty five thousand. There's twenty five hundred dollars. It's hard to compete with that, but they're all fake. Yeah. Once collectors go through that and realize. You can't buy real ones for twenty five hundred dollars. They cost twenty five thousand dollars. You weed out a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But you know, looking, being intelligent, asking questions, you know, looking around and understanding that there are no bargains. If, if you're going to collect, be true, yeah. If you're going to collect for a bargain, don't collect. Yeah. You know, it's just like yeah. then, then collect something that you don't care about the monetary value yeah. of it. But don't try to get bargains because they really don't exist. The yeah. bargain you get is buy great quality. Whatever it takes, no matter how much it costs, whether you have $100, $1,000, $5,000, or a million dollars, buy the best thing you can afford. I have friends, yeah. My friend collects cards. My, my son collects cards. And I'm like, you're better off buying $100 card than $10, $10 cards. Mm-hmm. And the kids take a while to get through their heads. And they're yeah. like, oh, we get it. Yeah. Because the $10, $10 cards are going to be worth $2 a piece. And the one $100 card might be go up. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just always better to buy the best. And that's what I tell people. And with these fields, yeah. Yeah. And with these yeah. fields that I deal in, you have to pick out things you have personally liked. Mm-hmm. If you're going to do this more as an investment, which I don't tell people to do, you have to buy movies that are like Citizen Kane and Gone with the Wind and Wizard of Oz that are like staples. Yes. You know, that aren't going to go anywhere. And then everything else is personal preference. But I always tell people, buy things you love, buy them because you love them, buy great quality, and they tend to take care of you. If you buy junk and buy things in investment, you always get killed. You just yes. have to buy what you love and buy intelligently and learn about what you're doing. Find an auctioneer, a dealer, or somebody that you can communicate with who will spend the time with you to help you learn about what you're doing and put confidence in these people that they'll guide you the right direction because we want you to collect. It's how we all make a living. We want you sure. to buy and sell. And the beauty of an auctioneer is, is that I keep getting the material back. Uh-huh. You know, That's right. Um, yeah. I had a piece. Um, it's funny because um, a client bought something at Sotheby's for $30,000. And I sold this piece, I think, either five or six times. <laughs> I made more money in commissions than the last person who bought it. Wow, you know, yeah, but it's but you know, it, you know, and that's the great thing about being an auctioneer. Mm-hmm. You know, that I want the stuff back when you're done in five years, bring it back. I mean, yeah. you make a living on selling that it's, it just keeps coming back. That's the great thing about collectibles. It's not like when they buy and they don't disappear, they just temporarily leave here and go somewhere else mm-hmm. and they live somewhere else. It's not like you go have a steak yeah. dinner and it's gone. Yeah. This is they keep coming back, so we, yeah. we try to sell material that we want back. Right. A lot of yeah. places are like, oh, take it away. You know, we, yeah. we, I tend to only put things in that I, I, I want to see again in three or four years. Mm-hmm. You're hoping they come back. Mm-hmm. The one thing that comes to mind is in our in the antique business, basically, the demographic is older than the collectors. You must have a lot of, like, for instance, Lost must have had a lot of younger people involved. And across the board, as far as Hollywood memorabilia? Hollywood memorabilia is young. I would say uh-huh. 20 to 40. Wow, and my historical yeah, document business is probably sixty to eighty. Yeah, but but it's, you can see why they're buying this. You go to Comic Con, that's the it's the crowd. I mean, right. it's yeah. it's great because that's how you can judge the, the longevity of this field. It's just in its beginning. Yeah, you know, because these guys have forty years to collect. Wow, you know, a lot of these other fields, yeah. they, they're at the end of their collecting. You try American furniture's died. That's absolutely died. I mean, it's I a have, bargain. 
It's know, a bargain right you now. Know, I you have a great buy. American, you know, Chippendale Tiger Maple desks and stuff that used yeah. to be fifty thousand. You can make it for eight grand. Yeah, people don't want them. They don't want to. Be, people don't want to furnish houses with them anymore. So yeah. it, everything changes. Those used to be so popular. Oh, I remember those days. Yeah, yeah. yeah and things, sure. but things so change. The new consumer comes along. And is like, I don't want that old desk. I yeah. don't want to, you know, a Queen Anne or I don't want. Why would I buy yeah. a high? You know, why would it's I want that? Modern, that's what I want. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's and that's why. Look at the art market. What's driving the market? Are look. There's a there's a, a Warhol. Uh, Elizabeth Taylor coming up for thirty million dollars. Ten years ago, thirty million dollars. What you and Van Gogh? I mean, think about it. Yeah. But it's pop culture. People are buying yeah. pop culture. And that's and, and that's yeah, yeah, Lichtenstein, and you know that whole world of you know the Warhols and the. But it's just again, it's just this moment in time. Yeah. Twenty years from now, it'll be. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Russian abstract art. Who knows? Is right. Yeah. Yeah. What's your uh, web address? It's profilesinhistory.com. Profilesinhistory.com. This yeah. has been great. Okay, thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you very much. This is Martin Willis with Joe Madalena, and we're signing off. We always appreciate our listeners, so feel free to email us with any ideas, questions, or suggestions to info at antiqueauctionforum.com. We do incur several expenses for this show. It is a free show. However, if you wish to donate, we do have a PayPal button at the bottom of our webpage. If you'd like to help us out for free, Please tell a friend about us, or rate and leave us a review on iTunes or any other podcast websites that we belong to. If you're planning on purchasing something through Amazon, please use our Amazon search engine located at the bottom right-hand corner of our webpage. It won't cost you a penny more, and we may get a few dollars to help us out. As always, we thank you for listening.